Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks, as always, to you guys for joining us. Bringing it to you a little late this week because we have a great guest and we wanted to talk about this topic and we wanted to have an expert on here. So Shahan and I are happy to be joined this week by Joe Goodman of AL.com, columnist there, wrote a book, We Want Bama, that helps explain what Alabama football is all about. Uh, Joe, first of all, thank you for taking time out of your busy life to join us here in the College Football Survivor Show. Definitely not an expert. <laughs> Wait, okay, Joe, we're going to start again expert from the top. Nothing. Don't talk. No, no, no. Don't say that on the pod. I'm not an expert. I already tell people that I'm not an expert. Now, Shahan, <laughs> Shahan has to carry the load even I, more. I guess I got to carry the show. I mean, I guess uh, here we go. <laughs> Usually, we are at least at 50% expert level. Now, we're at 33% expert level for this pod. Um, Joe, we, we want to talk about... Nick Saban, based off the retirement of Mike Krzyzewski and the idea that someday Nick Saban will stop coaching college football. We just, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, well, I don't know. Am I starting with a faulty premise? Joe, am I, is that – is Saban he, – he's never said that he will retire. Maybe he's going to coach till, his, till he's 90. Maybe he'll outlast us all. Maybe, maybe the whole premise of this show is off. Listen, man, I've been – you know, ever since I turned 40 – and this was three years ago. I've been trying to like work out and stay in shape. This guy's in better shape than me. Okay. Like, why would he, I, when he, what is he going to do? Why, I mean, I like for a while I was like, okay, the SEC is just, it's such a grind. You can't do it when you get that old. But like, if you go back and look at pictures of Bear Bryant, who didn't even live to the age of 70, and and Nick Saban, I mean, it is completely night and day. Uh, I mean, even Steve Spurrier, you know, who before this coming up season is the law is the oldest will be the oldest coach in the SEC for football. This is a completely different. So, you know, Nick Saban is I mean, he's definitely type A, keeps him himself in shape and. Uh, you know, I guess he's just going to coach as long as he, my prediction is he'll, when they lose three games in a season, he'll retire, you know, oh. but as long as they're paying this guy, you know, eight and a half, nine, ten million million a year, I mean, and you're, and you're not losing, just keep going. 
That's a scary thought, Shahan. I thought we were like, on, on behalf of the rest of college football, we were like, oh, let's just talk about Nick Saban. Maybe he'll be gone like in five or six years. And Joe comes in and is like, I think I got another 20. Another 20 years out of Saban. Shahan, is that, did Joe just scare off everybody from USC to Texas to Ohio State to Georgia, realizing that Nick Saban is not going anywhere? Well, I think I just got, I think I got this team on the brain because I just wrote about them this morning. But, uh, geez, I, I think that we just lost all of our Texas A&M listeners because they've been waiting yeah. to try to outlast Saban so that they can be next in line. And, uh, if that's, uh, if that's not happening, if Saban's outlasting Jimbo, then oof, that's, uh, that's brutal. The game's changed, y'all. A&M is, is bringing in these guys with the NIL collective world and, you know, that is maybe that's going to be the great equalizer for Saban in the SEC, you know, in college football in general. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Alabama is not going to have any problem getting recruits. But as far as these SEC schools just paying top dollar for premium talent all over the country, I think we're going to see a great migrate, another great migration of uh you know, top talent moving to the South for the money just because these people are insane and they will pay, obviously, what we've seen already, thousands and millions of dollars for high school kids. So that that's interesting that if this is the thing that maybe at least in the SEC or in areas of the South would help people try to keep up with Saban to some extent, maybe it's like, oh, what can you do? What can you do? You want to hire the next Nick Saban? Maybe this is a way to do it. Um, Joe, I, I want people, again, your book has been out. It's based on the 2020 Alabama national championship season. But when, when you wrote this, and again, all the reviews you read about it are just tremendous, that it's more than a college football book. Um, the thing that I'm really curious about with great coaches like this is how much Nick Saban has sort of come to represent Alabama football or how much has he – in, in, ingratiated himself with, with what Alabama football is when Alabama has arguably the greatest tradition in college football history with what Bear Bryant did there. Um, when you wrote about this fan base and this team, what's your view of, of how Nick Saban is so deeply involved in what Alabama football is all about right now? Oh, yeah, this guy is the face uh, of the franchise and the university. You know, his influence on the university over the past 15 years has just been astronomical in terms of financial gain for the University of Alabama. You know, they're, they made a goal to try to compete with Ohio State in terms of uh, student population, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago. and they brought in Nick Saban. And if you look at the enrollment numbers for Alabama, especially out of state students, it has just skyrocketed. And he's been there for 15 years, 16 years, 15 years now. So all of these out of state students coming in over the last almost two decades now, uh, just his impact over the entire state of Alabama. Yeah. I mean, he's had such an amazing influence on the state and yeah, you know, Bear Bryant, arguably the greatest coach ever. Nick Saban may be better than that guy. And so, uh, yeah, he's definitely kind of the new face of Alabama's growth beyond, you know, the Bear Bryant era. I'm curious, you know, obviously Alabama, like you mentioned, I mean, had 
arguably the greatest coach of all time before, but obviously a gap between some of those things. What has Nick Saban done that's so different? I mean, what what has Nick Saban done that Ohio State's never matched, Texas never matched, all this sort of stuff, right? I, I mean, what makes what makes Nick Saban, I guess, in this program, Nick Saban? Well, they let him do everything he wants to begin with. It's his show, okay? Like, as soon as he came in, uh, you know, 2007, I mean, he just completely took over everything. You know, he, he silenced all the outside voices, uh, all the all the influential people, um, and, and he made one singular message, you know, and it was his, it was his team. Uh, now there are different eras, I guess, within the Saban dynasty. Uh, so, you know, for a long time, uh, or in the beginning, it was kind of believed that he was just going to rebuild Alabama, get them back to national prominence and then move on. You know, Saban was known as back then he was known as a great rebuilder, uh, you know, so you have to credit uh, Alabama's board of trustees and influential boosters uh, for keeping him when other programs like Texas came calling and everything like that. I, I mean, they 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 bought him a, a huge mansion in Alabama. You know, he, like his benefits are just incredible. So, you know, they they made the palace even bigger for the king. You know, throughout the years. And and that's really helped the relationship. You have to under you also have to face the truth that it is not an exact cultural uh, mesh between Saban and Alabama. You know, you know he's an outside guy uh, from West Virginia, and and so yeah, there has been some rocky moments behind the scenes uh, over the years from time to time. Uh, but you know, with any great relationship. Uh, you know, two two entities uh, come together to make each other better. And, you know, that's kind of what they have have had going in Alabama with Nick Saban. So, you know, it's it's just been a, it's been incredible to cover for me as a journalist. Uh, and 2020 was just this insane season, um, you know, when all of these social factors uh, came together in in the state of Alabama, you know, from the confluence of all these different events, the pandemic, uh, you know, the summer for racial justice, um, you know, just the history of the entire state of Alabama. A lot of these things uh, met in 2020. And, and and that's when you saw just the state's dedication to football <laughs> because this, this team that they put together, uh, you know, is considered – I mean, yeah, it's it's one of the best of all time, the team in 2020. But, you know, Saban always called it the ultimate team, you know, just because of what those guys were able to, I guess, come together and overcome. And, you know, so that that's de that's the biggest reason why I wanted to write that book, uh, just because of what these guys were able to overcome together when all of these things uh, were just in chaos. But then on top of that, uh, just the entire the entire history of the state of Alabama has to be told um, at least, you know, since 1900, you know, if you're going to tell a book about the social influence, uh, you know, in, in Alabama on this, on, and on Alabama football. So yeah, it, 
you know, that's kind of like a convoluted <laughs> thesis statement of what makes the ultimate team. A lot of things make the ultimate team. Okay. <laughs> a lot of good, but also some bad. <laughs> and I do think, Joe, that I thought that pandemic year really helped tell some truths about about the whole world. Like the, if you were a strong institution, you found a way to get through. And if you're a weak institution, you splintered in a, in a situation like that. I thought that applied to college football and that some of the best programs sort of ro- rose even higher. And some of the teams you thought were pretty good, like sort of completely fell apart. The idea that in that season, Joe, that arguably that was Nick Saban's best team, the ultimate team in the craziest year, did in the end, did it reinforce all the things of what Alabama football means to the state of Alabama, of Nick Saban's excellence in leading a program and, and being a CEO in good times and in bad? It, it, it felt like that was – and that's why you wrote it, right? That that was just – it was the alabama season ever because when the going got rough, they got better. They rose to the challenge. Right. And everyone within the program at the beginning of that whole ordeal kind of felt like they were positioned to have a special season because, like you said, you know, Nick Saban uh, just keeps everything so organized and has a plan for every scenario. And so, you know, he was innovative before other coaches were even able to react when it came to testing and things like this. Um, so he's always been. Uh, like an idea-driven CEO type, um, and but then he also has like the power and the influence and the personality to like move people under him to do you know great things too. And and so you know in any organization that's what you need. Um, but yeah, you like you said, you know, just the the ultimate team in the craziest season and. I mean, he got COVID. He got COVID the week of the Iron Bowl. Like that was, uh, you couldn't have like written it any crazier, you know. Um, And then there was the first COVID scare before the Georgia game. Uh, You know, they played uh, 11, they played 10 SEC games, you know, 11 SEC games, right? SEC championship, no, no, 10 SEC games. Yeah, went, right, 10 plus the championship, and that had never been done. Uh, th- like three of the top five Heisman guys, including the winner. Uh, yeah, just just an amazing, amazing team to cover in a, spe- a special time. A-, a crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> special in the, in the terms of crazy. In case you missed the last college football survivor show. Back here with more Mount Rushmore doing linebackers this time. I'll be curious to see how this unfolds. I think there's probably maybe six or seven guys in the conversation here. I went. I have seven on my list. You have seven. See, you're always more prepared than me. Remember, like in third grade, we had to write like a one page book report. And one of the boys I knew got to the end of one page and like it was in mid sentence and just stopped. And he was like one page out. That's kind of how I do these podcasts. It's like, hey, it's four people on Mount Rushmore. Why do I care to research a fifth? You go above and beyond. They might not get just chiseled up there, but they're candidates in the mind of Shahanje Haraji, which I respect. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes.
All right. I, I do want to break news here real quick, Shahan, before we talk more to Joe. This is going to be a movie, right? They're going to option your book and turn it into a movie. <laughs> Because isn't the kind I, of thing? I think I think HBO series. I think that Winning Time is gonna gonna get us more in that direction. Because listen, I just watched the part in Winning Time where the coach falls off the bike, right? So like, oh my god, the coach fell off the bike. It's terrible. Saban gets COVID week of the Iron Bowl. The best receiver gets hurt, and then the second best receiver wins the Heisman. This like this three star quarterback that nobody ever thought was gonna be anything rises up and does Joe. We got you're gonna make huge cash off this. Call Adam McKay right now. Because the thing about because it would tell it would tell the Alabama Saban story, right? Because if you're gonna tell the Alabama Saban story in a in a miniseries, you can't do everything. You have to zero in. What is the season? What is the moment that is representative of everything else? And it's the COVID year. There's all these little – you got cliffhangers for the end of episode six. Nick Saban gets COVID <laughs> week of the Iron Bowl, right? It's perfect. And they got to use your book. Are you in talks? Are you in talks to be a millionaire <laughs> with the miniseries? No, man. There's no, there's, there's no movie or TV talks let's, going on. Let's like, go. <laughs> what are we doing? Let's go. <laughs> all right. Maybe this will help drum up some interest and we can, uh, we can hopefully get some money in your pocket. But you think <laughs> you that's know, it? You think, oh, you know what? I was listening to this college football podcast and I heard about this great book. If that's how, that's actually what happens, Joe, if there are Hollywood people listening to this podcast, oh my God, I'd be so excited. Yeah, th- then I need to check. Then I need to check. Yeah. But, uh, We're your agents. <laughs> you know, so to, I, I guess to kind of get back to, to sort of the, the central question of this, right? So, you know, let, let's fast forward to, 2063, obviously Nick Saban's 150 years old and finally decides to retire. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously after, after Bear retired, there were some tumultuous years. You know, so I'm curious when you look at the future of Alabama, I mean, what is Alabama's next step? I mean, what, what are they, are they looking to try to keep some of that system, a Saban system together? Is it trying to just find the next great thing? I mean, what, what does that look like? I, you know, if there's a secession plan, uh, then I'm not aware of it right now. Um, I really don't think, uh, you know, every AD always has like a group uh, of names, you know, uh, ready to go if something crazy happens. Um, so I'm sure that Greg Byrne uh, has that has done his due diligence as far as you know having a list of of candidates ready to go if if Saban suddenly retires, but. I think there's going to be a great void uh, in the SEC. And I think that there's going to be a lot of programs uh, ready to fill that void when it happens. You know, Auburn, uh, obviously Alabama's chief rival, and, you know, they hired a coach from uh, Boise State. You know, I have to think Brian Harrison thought that Save was like, I'm going to go to Auburn, and then, you know, it's going to be great. Uh, Saban's going to retire or whatever, and then I'll be able to take over the state. You know, so I I feel like everyone has has been thinking that for like the past five or so years. You know, I kind of felt like Orgeron was just like a stopgap. You know, and they just happened to have an incredible 2019 team. Of course, they got a bunch of NCAA problems going on now too, but. You know, yeah, that's the big thing. Just waiting for Saban to retire. I don't know what Alabama's going to do. 
when Saban retires, you know, it'll be the best job in the country uh, or one of them. So they'll have their pick, I guess, of whoever, uh, whatever great coach would want to come take over after Saban. Like that sounds horrible to me, but. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting. So there, there's two things I want to ask specifically about this next frame of reference. What When the Saban era ends at Alabama, when I tried to, you know, I was looking at the era, um, sort of the 20 years or so in the 80s and 90s, sort of before Saban really got rolling. And the closest thing then to what Alabama has done lately, and it's not that close, is what Miami did. Miami won five titles in the 21 years that I looked at, but Miami did it with five different coaches. They went from Howard Schellenberger to Jimmy Johnson to Dennis Erickson to Butch Davis to Larry Coker. And they won five different titles in this era because they were always the you. They were able to maintain a style and attitude and identity despite moving through different coaches. Now, obviously, Jimmy Johnson embodied it the most, but he only won one. And then Dennis Erickson came in on the fumes of Jimmy Johnson and kind of kept it rolling pretty well. Obviously, Dennis Erickson, a good coach. Then you look at like Duke and you look at Mike Krzyzewski, who the best run and basketball is different than football. The best run of Duke is not close. The, they, the best they ever did was win like Saban's won six in his 15 years and has been in three other title games. So throw out the first year Saban because he had to get it going. The other 14 years – Alabama's played in nine of the 14 title games. They're everywhere. They never have gone away. The best Duke did was like three titles in a period like that, right? So it's just not the same. It's not as omnipresent. And now Duke, they brought an assistant. They let him learn, just like Hubert Davis did at North Carolina under Roy Williams. The question is, I think Duke is trying to see, can they maintain the Coach K way of doing business with John Shire, who played for Coach K? Miami was able to maintain a style and an attitude and a swagger and a way of doing business and a culture. Joe, do you think Bama, is Saban so established that will will there be a Saban way of doing business that stays when he's gone? Is, Is it that powerful or is it, Will it not really be that? Will they not have a handpicked Saban successor who is probably going to do it his way? Yeah, well, I mean, not just at Alabama. Saban has really reshaped the entire SEC during his time there. You know, there are a lot of assistant coaches, obviously, that that have carried over that Saban way. Kirby Smart, who just beat Saban for the first time, you know, is one of those guys. Um, We've been talking about Billy Napier for three months and how he's mini Saban at Florida, right? That's all we talk about on this podcast. Yeah, we'll see. You know, Florida, Florida is, is one of those programs that that could, you know, definitely rise up at any moment and and, and take over the mantle once Saban retires. Um, you know, they have everything going for them. Uh, they just have had some trouble with their coaches over the past couple of years. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think that, uh, you know, Duke is a fascinating, Duke is just a fascinating thing in basketball because uh, it's, it's not like a big school. It's a private college, you know. Um, you now I was looking at Shukshevsky's, uh career. I mean, that guy, that, what an incredible career he had. I mean, all those, 
he was always there too. I mean, he made like, I don't know, 14 sweet 16s or something. I mean, that's, that's really incredible. But yeah, the biggest like staying power for Alabama is the fact that they, they're like, they never have that drop off, you know? And, and that, that's, that's that saving culture, you know, that has allowed them to just always stay there. How, how do you maintain that? I mean, it, you know, it, to me, it's impossible to maintain, to maintain that because it, what Saban is is incredible at above everything is recruiting, okay, and, and and that has never dropped off, and that's why Alabama has never dropped off. Like, yeah, they might not win it every year, but they're always going to have the guys to get there, you know, no matter what. Yeah, in the end, it might come down to injuries or or whatever, uh, but I don't think that there's going to be someone in place who can just maintain that level of recruiting excellence. Uh, now I do, you have to, you have to understand, like this is what we started talking about at the beginning. We're in this new NIL era, you know? So <clears throat> like how that is going to play into everything when Saban retires, that remains to be seen. No one can predict like how this NIL collective future that we're stepping into, like really, in the thick of it right now for the first time, like this off season, like there's no way to predict how that is going to shake out everything and, and affect like if Alabama can maintain what they do or not, if it was the same and there was no NIL era, then I would say that, yeah, it would just be impossible for Alabama to maintain that recruiting excellence that Saban had just because history tells us that that's impossible to do. You, you know, like you have to have, it doesn't matter if you're Alabama or Ohio State or or whoever. Like you have to have that strong coaching recruiting presence there to to maintain it year over year over year. And it's so hard. It's so hard to do. So I was looking at the numbers this off season. I think it's something like eleven out of the fourteen SEC schools have changed head coaches in the last like two years. And <laughs> and so I, I think though that this gets to an interesting question, which is. So when Nick Saban does retire, right? Like, I think that we just, we have to assume to some extent they're, you know, the next guy's not going to win six titles in 14 years. And, and more than that, right? I mean, I look at this SC West. Obviously, Auburn got through once, uh, in a year that, that Alabama still won the national title. LSU got through once to win the title. But when you look at the SEC, how does not having to be frank, an unbeatable Death Star. How does that influence the rest of the SEC? Well, I, you know, I, I I think it. You got you. I think you. You know, and this goes back to like the whole premise of your podcast. Like Saban's influence has affected all of college football. Uh, you know, from the BCS era to the college football playoff era, and and now like into the expansion era. And, and I think that is another great equalizer, the expansion of the playoff. You know, this is an argument I've had with a lot of people, but, you know, I feel like with only four teams in the college football playoff, like, a kids want to play for a national championship. So the best kids are going to go to the teams that they know they're going to be there, okay? And so, and so the system is completely jacked up right now. Like, it's, to me, it was such a detrimental thing for college football that they – uh, scuttled the 12 playoff idea and kicked it down, kicked the can down the road until the TV contracts are up. Um, because I think with a 12 team playoff, I mean, 
really, it's kind of, I, I hope that maybe it works out because I think that 12 isn't enough. I think it should actually be 16. And I think that would help with the parity of college football. But, you know, a lot of these factors kind of influenced the system at the same time. And that really helped Saban, I think, create what he has here because, you know, if you want to play in the college football playoff, like look at the track record, just go to Alabama. You're going to be there. Uh, you know, if you're one of the best players in the country <coughs> and you don't want to, you only want to be in school for three years or whatever, go to Alabama, play for some national championships or college football playoff, have a good time and then go pro. Like that's the deal. So, you know, all of that stuff has helped him maintain his dynasty. I think when they ultimately expand the playoff, I think maybe that will limit, uh, you know, the ability for mm. some of these superpower programs to build these super dynasties. We'll yeah. see. Who knows? Maybe it makes it worse. I don't know. Well, that's the hard thing. I mean, I, you know, when Saban was sort of saying some stuff about the, the transfer portal this offseason, sort of saying, like, I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's the best thing, but if this is what it's going to be, then this is what we'll do. And we'll win that way. Some people took it as like, oh, well, Nick Saban's tra- it's just it, Nick Saban's just telling it for real. It's like, <laughs> listen, I don't know if this is the best thing for college football, but if what if this is what it's going to be, then we're going to take Georgia's best receiver in the portal. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. Because that's the thing, Joe, right? Whatever Nick Saban would capitalize on whatever the structure is, whatever the rules are, Nick Saban would analyze it and say, okay, these are the parameters. Cool. This is how we're going to win in this system, right? He would just figure it out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, they got teams of analysts like, you know, just dedicated to the portal now. I mean, you know, so they, they go and they get like the top cornerback from LSU. They get the top receiver from Georgia. They get the top running back from Georgia Tech. Like, so if they had some deficiencies on offense, you know, like they just took care of that problem. Uh, you know, so, I mean, they got, obviously they have Bryce Young. He's arguably the best quarterback in college football. So, you know, he's going to have some guys to throw to. You know, yeah, they're just rebuilding at this point with the transfer portal. I think it, I think the transfer portal definitely helped Cincinnati get to the uh, college football playoff. Um, <coughs> uh, the pandemic also really – that's ultimately like that is what helped Cincinnati have all those like super seniors and everything. You know, so we kind of have to look at it like last season in terms of like being this extraordinary year when all these kids still had this eligibility, uh, you know, and the transfer portal on top of that. So they were able to make this, these teams, but, you know, once we get past like the whole extra year of eligibility due to the pandemic and get into the transfer portal and NI collective, like college football is going to look completely different. And and it's really hard to predict like what that's going to be, but expanding the playoff, I was so disappointed that that didn't happen because I mean, really, if you want to like look at it from 10,000 feet, like college football is really stale right now. You know, it's the same teams again and again and again and again in the playoff. You know, and it's like for the average fan <coughs> around the country, that's not fun. Like for the SEC, it's great because we don't care. We'll watch whatever is on television, you know, like whatever is on for football, like it doesn't matter, you know, and, and they support their teams no matter what. But for the average fan, it's a stale sport right now. It's the worst playoff in the in sports. So. 
you know, they really need to expand that thing. Yeah, I was, you know, the whole like taking, and this is another thing we haven't even talked about, like stealing Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12. Like, what is, <coughs> how is that going to affect the future? You know, you know, Texas and Oklahoma really wanted to get into the SEC. At the beginning, a lot of people said like, oh, it's because, you know, they want to get all this TV money. But have you ever been to Texas? Like all the money they have and all the money that Oklahoma, like they don't need money. Okay. Like they can just call up an oil baron and be like, I need some cash. They want recruits. They want Saban's recruit. They're sick of Saban coming into Texas and stealing all those players. Okay. So like, you know, that's why college football is incredible because like you have the pride of all these like multimillionaire boosters, you know, involved, wrapped up in everything. And so, you know, Texas and Oklahoma going into the SEC, like for me, that was all about recruiting so they can get the best players now because the best players are just migrating to the SEC. Like that's the way it is. I don't know how like that's going to affect the balance of power, you know, in in college sports uh, long term. I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing, but definitely like, you know, there needs to be some kind of like tilting back of the power against the SEC. And I think like the expanding the college football playoff to 16 teams like can help with that. <laughs> Joe, before we let you go, I, I want to get one more view on this and, and you're the best guy to give it. What will it be like for Alabama football fans when Nick Saban is done? How will they react? And we do know, I mean, they did, they, they were, you know, Gene Stallings won a title, but they were in the wilderness for a while between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. And then what will his legacy be? Right. I mean, we know he's got the statue already, but Bear Bryant is is so uh, is is maybe the number one figure in the history of college football. It just it blows my mind that Nick Saban, that anybody could stand almost at the same level as a legend like that. How will people miss Nick Saban and how will people view Nick Saban when this is all done? I think they'll view him as the greatest coach to ever coach in college athletics uh, you know like how Alabama reacts it's going to be a lot of dark clouds <laughs> uh, a, a lot of like uh, oh no what do we do now uh, when when Saban finally walks out the door um, but I think like his influence uh, and his legacy uh, in the state of Alabama I think is going to be perpetuated over like the next generation. Um, you know, so like I said, with all these out of state gra grads, uh, that have come to the university of Alabama, you know, it's really kind of helped make university of Alabama and by extension, the state of Alabama, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, a bigger national influence, um, you know, so uh, wh whatever, I think that Alabama will they're still crazy. They're still going to be insane about college football in Alabama after Nick Saban leaves. So they're going to do whatever it takes to stay on top um, and, and until they find the right guy or whatever. But as far as Nick Saban, like, yeah, he's going to go down in Alabama as the, as the greatest coach of all time. Um, even though, you know, Bear Bryant like helped really build the superpower. Uh, like what Nick Saban has done is just remarkable. And who knows when he's going to be done. That's the thing. Like, He's 70 years old and Bear Bryant died when he was 69. So, 
you know, Saban still has a lot of legacy, I think, to create. We'll see. Yep. Joe, if people want to get We Want Bama, the book, what's the best way for them to uh, to order that and, and delve into Alabama, Alabama football? Uh, yeah, you can just go on Amazon or bookshop.org and, and, buy, and get the book. Um, you know, if you want to really understand, like, the dynamics that have shaped uh, college football in the South, particularly Alabama, and, and on all the social influences that go into that, you know, it's a uh, it's definitely a lot more than a college football book, but it's a, it's a fun read too. You know, it's it's a uh, it's pretty entertaining. So you know, yeah, a lot of people have have enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to carve out the time to like put everything down. You know, for the for for future kids and 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 fans of college football to like remember. So uh, yeah, check it out. I really enjoyed writing it. Um, Thanks for having me on, for sure. It's uh, I just got a text from Hulu. They want to know <laughs> if you can meet with them next week, Joe. So, again, Shahan and I, I think consulting producer, Shahan, is that the title that we would take for that? Uh, as long as I get a check, I don't really care. You can, you can have me do anything. <laughs> and then, Joe, you just have to sort of reshape the whole book for a 10-episode series. So if you can just crank that out real quick, we'll be good to go. Time to be a screenwriter. Whoa. <laughs> All right, Joe, we'll meet you in Hollywood, man. Thanks uh, thanks for being part of this. You guys can read Joe Goodman at AL.com. Uh, great insight on Alabama, on SEC, on what college football means in the South. Find him, Joe Goodman at AL.com. Joe, thanks so much for joining us here on the College Football Survivor Show. Thanks, guys. Awesome. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Back in the College Football Survivor Show, Joe's good, man. Like, you can tell. Right, Jahan? You can tell. Okay, was that a pun, Joe's good, man? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm just in the zone now. I'm in the zone because Joe. Joe was so Joe good. brought the energy, man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, you can... You can tell how the book's written by how the guy is, right? And it's like, yeah. man, you you want to absorb that book and that he is able to take a big picture perspective on that and get into the football, but get into the bigger stuff. You and I were having a conversation about that. Sometimes you just want the football, but sometimes with the right story, you want to place it in the context of the, the world and society and what it means to people. And obviously with, yeah, he did that. How how can you not with 2020, especially, right? I mean, because it is COVID, it is racial unrest, it is all of that stuff. Like, what makes that team so great is that. Uh, now, I, I will say, as, a, as obviously a proud Texan, I did take offense that he felt like you have to call up an oil baron now. Uh, no, Elon Musk lives in Austin, man. There's, there's, there's a plenty of tech money going around. We can, we can call oh. up some, some venture capitalist. We can, it's a, it's a brave new world of, of Texas <laughs> college <laughs> fundraising. <laughs> I, should we get Joe back on? Oil Baron, how dare you, sir? We're we're trying to move on. Hey, my house right now runs on wind energy, according to the electric company. Like we're we're moving on and up, man. 
Well, and that's, yeah, we'll have Joe back on. Next time he's on, we'll talk about the power grid in Texas with Shahan and Joe Goodman. That's what we need to talk about. Uh, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but one of the things that he said that I thought was was really interesting, and I want us to talk about now, Shahan. So listen, guys, we're going to get into this. We're just going to keep talking about this. We're going to do a couple more podcasts about this because I do think Coach K's retirement, we're not trying to push Nick Saban out. I mean, well, on behalf of the rest of college football, maybe we are. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. <laughs> We have the version. And now the, the thing of it is, too, is when you look at Coach K's success and you realize Saban's twice that. Like, it's not comparable. It's not. because, And I know it's different sports, but Mike Krzyzewski never won six titles in 12 years, which is what Saban's best run at BAM has been. He never won six titles in 40 years. So, I mean, like, so it's just, it's not the same. It's not comparable. So I do think, Shahan, as we now, you and I are going to talk about this, I do think when Nick Saban leaves, it will be the biggest hole that we've ever seen in college football because he is the most dominant. And I want to go back and compare to some dominance of previous eras, but we haven't seen this. Year one is his one get-it-together year. The next 14 years of his career, where we are right now, six titles, three losses in national championship games. Nine of the four in this era where we finally, with the BCS and then the college football playoff, where we finally got to a point where we really have a national championship game, Alabama's in it all the time. We don't know what a true championship game looks like without Bama owning it. We don't really know that. And when Joe said he thinks that the college football postseason is a little bit stale right now, the number one reason for that is Nick Saban. The structure does not help, but the real problem is that Alabama has been so dominant, it can make it feel stale. Well, that's the funny thing, right? I mean, we, we talk so much about, oh, it's, you know, these teams at the top have such an influence on the sport and other teams aren't really able to compete with that. And that's always the argument for why does Cincinnati need to make the playoff? Why does, uh, you know, a Pac-12 team need to make the playoff? Whatever, whatever. But the reality is, like, Ohio State's won one of these things since 20, uh, since 2002, right? Like, I mean, Oklahoma hasn't won one since 2000. Uh, you know, Clemson won two, and that's one of the craziest things that's ever happened that they won two in three years. And that's like, that's it, right? So it's, it's not that there's this group of teams that keep dominating the sport. It's that there's one team that is dominating the sport like that. Like you mentioned, six championships, nine championship games in 14 years. That, that's crazy stuff. I mean, in any sport that's that's UConn women's basketball type stuff right and and so I don't know it is interesting and uh, one thing that I that was uh really interesting to me that Joe mentioned was I mean LSU basically hired a stopgap to just try to wait it out to wait out Nick Saban I I think that if you asked Texas A&M when they hired Jimbo Fisher back in 2017 uh, offseason it was 100% a 10-year contract because they're like all right We'll get four of Saban, and then we'll get six years of of unfettered, like, this will be us. And I think that Georgia probably looked at that like Kirby Smart. Now, thankfully, Kirby Smart got his title, but I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I think that Joe's absolutely right. I mean, 
you look around the sport. I, I even think that in some ways, like Dan Mullen might have been a little bit of a stopgap, right? He was somebody who was going to be good. He probably was never going to be title worthy. That's a part of the reason that they uh, that they never hired him before. But you're kind of just sitting and waiting in a lot of ways. And so I think that you look at the 14 jobs, even the 16 now uh, of the new SEC. I mean, how many of them? were these hires that uh, that are supposed to really compete with with Saban up until I think uh, Brian Kelly this cycle the only guy who was really able to compete with Saban in the SEC was there already when he got there and that was Urban Meyer and then when Saban got rolling he burned out Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer left so that was the one guy, and nobody else has been able to do it on the same level. I looked at the last 14 national championship games, obviously eight in the playoff era and six in the BCS before that. These are the 20, these are the appearances in the national title game since Nick Saban's second year. Alabama, nine of 14. Clemson, four. Ohio State 2, Oregon 2, Auburn 2, LSU 2, Georgia 2, and then one each for Florida, Oklahoma, Texas, Notre Dame, Florida State. Those are all, with with the exception of maybe like USC and Texas, these are all the great powers in college football represented in championship games in the last 14 years. The second most appearances is four. Are people really that sick of Clemson? Oh, Clemson's been in for the last 14. God, I'm so sick of Clemson. It's not. It's there, there, one there was the team. Three there, there was the trilogy. And I think that, that people were not happy about having three years back to back to back, right? But at this, or they actually, I think that there was a gap. It, 2017 was a gap, right? So I think that that's uh, having Alabama Clemson. Three three times in four years was probably a little bit of a a letdown for people, but like that's not the reason why right now today people are saying that right that that's not the reason. It's because Alabama has been that much more dominant than every other team, and nobody has been able to run with them at the same level. So here's here's what I think. So I think it's good for a sport. It gets into the question that people like to talk about a lot in sports, which is, is is a dynasty good or bad for a sport? Is UCLA basketball, men's basketball in the John Wooden era good or bad for the sport? Is UConn women's basketball under Gino Ariema good or bad for the sport? Are the Patriots in the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era good or bad for the sport, right? That if you have somebody on top for everybody to shoot for, it it defines the sport. It's either you admire them or you hate them, but it's not uncertain. So you could argue, no, you want a big dog because it puts it gives everybody else a target. But I actually think it's best if you have multiple big dogs. If you're not going to have everybody be kind of equal, between 1982 and 2002, this is a Rough generalization. 2003 is Saban's first title at LSU. So that's why I stopped in 2002. 1982, Bama's last title under Bear Bryant, I think, was 78. But there was like a couple-year period in there where there was some different teams. You had a Georgia title in 80, a Clemson title in 81. 
this is 82 is when you sort of, I thought, was the beginning of this new era of multiple dynasties at the same time. And here's the point. This is going to take a little time, but we'll get there. Bear with me. Fasten my seatbelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between 19, in the 21 years between 1982 and 2002, Miami won five titles. Nebraska won three. Penn State, Florida State, Oklahoma each won two. Those are all college football powerhouses. Florida State finished in the top five 14 times in that 21-year period. Miami finished in the top five 11 times. Nebraska finished in the top five 10 times. That is three simultaneous college football dynasties. It's the Maya, It's the U. As we said, it's five different coaches. Jimmy Johnson's swagger, although we give credit to Howard Schellenberger for really getting it going, no coach in that Miami era lasted more than six years. They were all like five or six years. Schnellenberger, Johnson, Erickson, Davis, Coker. But it's the attitude. Nebraska, it's Tom Osborne. And Florida State, it's Bobby Bowden. Three simultaneous dynasties. And then you have other people popping up. Top five finishes in those 21 years. Penn State, five. Joe Paterno. Oklahoma, five. Decent chunk of Barry Switzer. Notre Dame, four. Mostly Lou Holtz. Alabama, three. Ohio State, three. Okay, but again, three top five finishes in 21 years is like nothing. It really is Miami, Florida State, Nebraska. But the thing that happened is that Bobby Bowden in that era probably was the closest to Saban. 14 top five finishes in 21 years is pretty dominant. The good thing for college football is Bobby Bowden didn't get it done at a title level as often as Saban does. Two titles. 14 top five finishes, only two titles. They were in there a lot. They had a rivalry with Miami. Nebraska and Miami, like Nebraska in the on the national title stage, was able to have cross-country rivalries here. But if Bobby Bowden, if Florida State had won more titles, I actually think it would have been bad for college football. Miami won a bunch of titles, but they were it was people moving in and out, right? And they did they were more exciting as a dynasty, as a target. You had Catholics versus convicts, the Notre Dame Miami thing. When Miami wore the fatigues to the Fiesta Bowl against Penn State, that was a thing. The rivalry in Florida with Florida State, everybody got their shots at Miami, and it was fun. And then they would change coaches, and a little bit of it would change. Saban is smothering college football because it's it's not robotic, but it's so dominant. It's not swag. It's efficiency. And so if you're going to have a t- – it's more fun to go after Miami and go after the U than it is to go after Saban. Going after Saban f- seems futile. That was fun for Georgia this year. You know what I mean? So first – so that previous era before Saban, you had three powerhouses and then some other people popping up. But none of the powerhouses were as dominant as Saban and Alabama are. And the one that was the closest was the ultimate fun villain. And I don't think people got tired of the U because they weren't, it didn't feel, it, I think it was more fun to try to challenge them. And because they got a little loose, they were, they were having fun, man. Hey, they might let you, they might do something. 
to let you sneak in there. Ohio State, Miami. Miami's a better team. Ohio State wins 2002 National Championship. That doesn't happen with Saban. So he, his dominance is smothering college football and is making the playoff feel stale. And when he leaves, I think all of that will open up. And I think miraculously people will be like, you know what? Whatever the structure of the playoff is, they'll be like, I like this college football playoff. And all that's going to be is Nick Saban being gone. And this is the ultimate, this is not an anti-Bama rant. This is not an anti-Nick Saban rant. This is the ultimate compliment that you your excellence and your dominance is making your sport feel stale. And we have been searching for solutions when there is no solution. The only solution is for Nick Saban to stop being Nick Saban. Well, and I think I think more than anything, right? Like Having a supervillain in any sport is good. Like, I think that it's a good thing. But what's not a good thing is when that supervillain is unbeatable, right? Like, is is inevitable, right? Because it's one thing to have, like, uh, again, it's one thing to have Duke, right? Duke, elite recruiting classes, super well-coached team. They're going to be in the competition forever. But, like, they got beat a lot, and people got to enjoy that, right? I mean, people, people still talk about Mercer, right? Like people still talk about that. So like it's, it's, that's part of this deal, right? And I think that that's the thing that's frustrating about Alabama is that they never, ever, ever have a moment where they've embarrassed themselves, right? Like that's never happened. There's been times that they didn't win the game, but it's never been, they've, they never had 2014 Florida State with Jameis Winston falling backwards, right? They That's never happened. There's never been a point where you're able to have fun at Bama's expense. It's, it's like, and so much about sports is that. And I, I think that actually you mentioned Miami. I mean, Miami had, like you said, dominant runs. I think that a big difference with that too is that it was very player-driven, and I think that that's a huge difference between being very coach driven because like then it's just the same thing as opposed to, hey, we're going to talk about Michael Irvin right now. We're going to talk about Ray Lewis right now. I think that that's a big difference in terms of the way that the sport is experienced because it feels like it's different players, even if it's the same program. Um, but, you know, with with Nick Saban, like Alabama's never I, I mean, the one time I guess like the one time ever, ever that it happened was the kick six and and like we still talk about it we still talk about it like all the time because that was like man remember that one time that happened and like you know it happened a little bit with texas a&m this year but like not really and it and texas a&m didn't really like capitalize on it in any meaningful way so like it just it just doesn't happen all that often and at the end of the day after what happened there? Like Alabama went and destroyed Georgia in the SEC championship game. And, and then they played in the national championship game. And yes, Georgia deserved to win that game, but also Alabama lost their two top receivers. And so like, I don't know. Sports is so much about being able to talk crap. And like, when you have a team that's just, that you can't talk about in any meaningful way, that sucks. That's bad for the sports. And I do. We didn't live through it. We're not going to pretend we're experts on the John Wooden dynasty at UCLA. It's the most comparable thing here. And 
I don't know if college if college basketball like sort of breathed a sigh of relief after that, but they got all the best players. They kept winning year after year. They were recruiting at the highest level. They felt inevitable. They were inevitable. And then so that so Coach K, we're doing this because Mike Shashevsky retired. But Mike Shashevsky is not really the Nick Saban comparison because he won five titles in 30 plus 35 years. It's not the same as six and 12, which is Saban's best run. And he's won six at fifth in 15 at Alabama overall. The last, again, since, oh, wait, his first year at Alabama is 07. It's a reset and then away they go. There's never been more than a two year gap of no Bama in the title game. In 2013, the last year before, uh, the playoff, it was the kick six. The kick six is 2013, right? So that's Florida State, Auburn, and the national championship game. And then the next year, Alabama's the number one seed, and Ohio State upsets Alabama, and we get Ohio State, Oregon, in the national championship game. That's the only two-year gap since 08. And then otherwise, it's like, oh, LSU beat them one year because they had Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson. And what happened the next year? You got angry Bama, arguably Saban's best team, undefeated, rolling through the world to an extent that Joe Goodman wrote a book about it. So that's, there's no reprieve and there's no real hope. So here's my question. We're going to keep talking about this in this off season. We're going to do another podcast. I think that's going to delve into more, what's really going to happen in national college football in the post Saban era. We're going to wind up keeping this more about what's going to happen at Alabama. Miami, I think, is the exception to the rule in the way that they were able to keep us culture going through multiple coaches. And eventually, eventually, Larry Coker wasn't cool enough to keep it going. And then it fell off. Hey, hey that's UTSA legend Larry Coker, by the way. Like if you, you they kept this, the culture of the U was so strong, it stuck to Larry Coker for like two years. They won a title and thought they were going to win another title in 02 against Ohio State before they realized Larry Coker looks like your uncle, the mailman. What are we doing here? He is not cool. Now they're trying to get it back. It took them, it's two decades, but now that's exactly why Mario Cristobal's back. And guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to be good for college football. He's going to get it back. They've been searching for it. They couldn't find it. Most of the time, they're the exception to the rule. Most of the time, Surprise, surprise. When you lose the all-time great coach, who the culture, frankly, is the coach, you have the tradition and the structures and the support at the school to make it possible, but really the culture is the coach. Florida State kept it going after Bobby Bowden, the transition to Jimbo Fisher, about as good as you could do. But look where Florida State is now, right? That they, they couldn't maintain it at the same level long-term. Penn State, Joe Paterno, leaves in a obviously a controversial fashion, can't maintain it. Ohio State, Woody Hayes, leaves in a controversial fashion, but they bring in Earl Bruce, who is the closest thing they could find to Woody Hayes. He's a Woody Hayes disciple. He goes nine and three every year, can't maintain it. Pete Carroll, what USC was. We all know what USC was in the Matt Liner, Reggie Bush era. Pete Carroll leaves, can't maintain it. They can't maintain it. Guess what? They just hired Lincoln Riley to get that back. We have not seen people able to maintain it. And even at the greatest programs, the the structure gives you a chance. The structure allows you to make the hire. The coach, 90% of the time, is what makes the school what it is. 
I don't think Alabama will be able to maintain this level of success, six titles in 12 years and their their best window. I don't think they'll be able to maintain it. I would imagine they'll hire somebody with Saban roots. Billy Napier at Florida might just be auditioning to be Nick Saban's successor at Alabama. We obviously know there's always going to be talk about Dabo Sweeney as a Bama alum being that guy. Who knows? But, Shahan, I think they'll try and I think they'll fail. I don't think Bama's going to fall off a cliff like it was, like where it was before Nick Saban was hired. But I don't think they're going to be winning half the championships. And guess what? That'll be good. Not good for Bama, but they're just going to become good like everybody else. I don't think they'll be bad, but they'll be on the same level as Texas A&M and Georgia and LSU and Florida. And the SEC will become more competitive as a result, but it won't be Alabama on top with everybody chasing. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that's interesting is to look at the schools that have survived multiple rounds of coaching turnover while maintaining recruiting. And you mentioned Miami. I think that Miami, like you said, has such a strong cultural fit. And also being the South Florida school, I think that they really built a reputation for themselves. Uh, Another school that I'd point to is LSU. You know, LSU, we talked a little bit actually off air before. Like LSU has a strong cultural place that every coach who's come through has understood that they need to maintain to the point that Brian Kelly's doing the gritty and, you know, and talking about his family and all this sort of stuff, right? Like they understand that they need to maintain that relationship. Uh, you know, I think that Oklahoma and Ohio state in terms of recruiting infrastructure play a big part in that, right? Like when you talk about recruiting well over multiple coaches and I think that's going to be a struggle for Alabama. Actually, not to, it's a different conversation. I, I think it's going to be tough for Georgia whenever Kirby Smart leaves too. I mean, he locked down the state of Georgia and I think that's very difficult to do. And I don't think that that's in an uninevitability. So I think that, that whoever follows up Nick Saban doesn't necessarily have the juice to, to keep this thing going. Because I think that when you look at the way that Alabama recruits, Alabama's recruiting by saying, Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time. And if you play for him, you're going to play for national championships. You're going to win a national championship and probably two, and you're going to play in the NFL. And I think that that pitch doesn't hit the same way when Nick Saban is gone. Because it's one of these things as great as Alabama is. There's nobody in college football. I just, I just don't think there is. There's nobody who's so head and shoulders above all the rest of the schools and their tradition and their support and their resources that they hold their spot no matter what. Now, if you're in a place where there's a lot of great recruits around you in this day and age, certainly that matters a lot. It's easier to do it at Alabama or Georgia or Florida or Florida State or Texas or USC than it is to do at Nebraska or Michigan or Penn State. Right. That's we understand that reality right now. If you're above the Mason Dixon line, you've got to recruit nationally to play at the highest level. Not that Alabama doesn't recruit nationally, but there's more people, more great players closer to them. But I think, Shahan, there's probably I mean, you know, we can do a podcast like this at some point, too. We all know them. How many programs have the ability to be the dominant program in college football? Twelve. 14 to, to be the dominant like like Alabama level dominant I mean we will do a podcast that who will be the next Bama but I think the candidates are between 10 and 15 it's not three I would probably say less than that I I think that 
we'll we'll have to put together a list. I, I think that'll definitely yeah. But I would, I, if I had to guess before putting together my list, I would say a number close to ten, but I'd say less than ten. Um. Okay, I, but but it's not it's not three. So it's like Alabama. I think Alabama football has a birthright to be good. They don't have a birthright to be a dynasty all the time. Just like Ohio State doesn't have that. USC doesn't have that. Oklahoma doesn't have that. Texas doesn't have it. Georgia, Florida, Florida State. They should all be in the mix. But you can fall off. You can fall off. And the thing that is is sort of not easy to forget, certainly for the people of any Alabama fans who are listening to this, they live through it. They know it. Saban can make it feel like, well, this is just what Alabama is. They've had, again, if we do anybody's list of the best college football coaches in history, I'd put Saban one. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd put Bear Bryant two. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. So that I, I the idea, it almost makes it, I don't know. I think it makes it more amazing that Saban did it because when you have sort of that legend, um, it does set you up. It's remarkable how many of the current college football powers all have a defining legend in their background that sort of shaped who they are and allowed them to be in the mix right now. It, it's everybody. Everybody has their guy, whether it's Bud Wilkinson at Oklahoma or Daryl Royal at Texas or Bo Schembecker at Michigan or Woody Hayes at Ohio State or Bear Bryant at Alabama or John McKay at USC, like everybody's got a guy. And if you don't have a guy who did that for you, like in the forties or fifties or sixties or seventies, you, it's hard to be that now. There's not a lot of Clemson. Maybe there was a guy, I always forget the Clemson guy, no disrespect to our Clemson listeners. Right. But so Bear Bryant set that up for Alabama to be good. So that helped Nick Saban, but that Nick Saban has surpassed Bear Bryant never will cease to blow my mind because how did somebody do that? But he did. It is maybe on the list of things that Saban did, maybe not in legendary status because the houndstooth hat and everything that Bear Bryant was, we get it. The Junction Boys, we get it. I know that wasn't all about, but we get it, right? He was a defining character. Nick Saban is not as much of a character as Bear Bryant. There's no better coach in the history of college football and that he did that in Bear Bryant's house blows me away. Yeah, we really I, I think that if there's one thing that Nick Saban needs to accomplish in his final act, he needs to come out with some absurd piece of uh piece of clothing, right? Like he needs to come out and be wearing like a Kangol hat. Like he needs to come out and, and like he just needs to stick with that for the last like five to ten years of his career so that uh Alabama fans will have to wear something outrageous uh to, to replace the houndstooth hat. I, I I'm open to pitches, I'm open to suggestions. Uh maybe he could wear like some just awful sunglasses. I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh but I think that Nick Saban that's how he really needs to cement his legacy is he needs to add a truly horrible piece of clothing uh, that can maybe uh, live on in infamy. Uh, I want to be there when you pitch the Kangol hat to Bear Bryant. <laughs> I mean, to, to Nick Saban. To Nick Saban, to Nick Saban. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's got to do the backwards one like uh, what Samuel L. Jackson wears these days. Yeah. And like <laughs> Kevin James on King of Queens. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Hey Nick, did you love King of Queens? <laughs> Have you ever wanted to be Kevin James? <laughs> Kevin James played Sean Payton. 
in that movie. So I think Kevin James is trying to set himself up as um, if you're looking to do a biopic on a coach and you don't mind the actor being 60 pounds heavier than the coach was in actual life, Kevin James as Nick Saban. In We Want Bama, the new miniseries uh, from Joe Goodman and Shahan Jaharaja and Doug Ramirez. Uh, Nick Saban needs to come out wearing the uh, the John Daly golf pants. That's what he needs to do. He needs to coach in those. And then everybody on the sidelines would be wearing those stupid golf pants. Well, there's enough stuff in the Winning Time series about the Lakers on HBO that is not real. It's based on a true story that in our version of We Want Bama by Joe Goodman, executive produced by Shahan Jeharaja and Doug Maurice. Maybe we'll just have Nick Saban into 2020 season wear John Daly golf pants and a Kangle. <laughs> we'll just do it. Is, is that what he really wore that year? Well, you know, I mean, you know, the Devontae Smith part, that's real. The Saban wardrobe, not so much. <laughs> Nick Saban played by John C. Riley. You know, that was a thing. Like, I think Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, the director, got in a fight about that. Because Will Ferrell wanted to play Jerry Buss. And Adam McKay, I think, sort of said like, yeah. And there's like, no, it's going to be John C. Riley, But he didn't tell Will Ferrell the right way. And then Will Ferrell got mad. And I think Adam McKay and Will Ferrell aren't friends anymore. I think letting Will Ferrell play Nick Saban may patch up that friendship and make We Want Bama, the 10-episode series coming next fall on Hulu by Joe Goodman, <laughs> executive produced by Shahanjay Hiraj and Doug Maurice, the most popular miniseries in the history of streaming services. Will Ferrell is a good eight inches taller than Nick Saban. Like he is, he's a giant dude. Sean, are you trying to do an exact reenactment of history or do you want to make a show? Do you want to make a good show? Um, <laughs> Will Ferrell as Devonte Smith. It's like, I <laughs> so Nick's bear Bryant, just what you're not guaranteed. Bear Bryant, 25 years at Alabama finished in the top 10 of the AP poll 19 times in 25 years. There was a 24 year gap between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. Alabama finished in the top 10 of the AP poll seven times in those 24 years, 19 and 25 to seven and 24. And now Saban Saban. It's not guaranteed. And I don't think it's going to be guaranteed. I don't think they'll fall off a cliff, but We'll talk about this more in a later pod. If we're looking for who who could be the next great SEC team, I just don't know that there will be one. We have, in this era, been dominated by single programs running their conferences. Clemson in the ACC, Oklahoma in the Big 12, Ohio State in the Big 10, and sort of an absence in the Pac-12, Oregon briefly in the Chip Kelly era after Pete Carroll and USC. It's better for everybody again, and we just – an SEC that truly would have six of the 15 best programs in the country, but no clearly best of those six. Wow. Sign me up for that, right? Sign me up for that every day of the week. That will be amazing. And yeah, you're still going to have an SEC multiple, at least one, probably more than one SEC teams competing, competing, for a national championship at the highest level during the whole season, especially an expanded playoff. You're going to have a bunch of SEC teams in it, but it's not going to be the same SEC team. And I think that'll be good for everybody. Um, And when will it happen? I mean, I think the guy's got at least, right, five to eight more years. 
at Bama, signed the contract extension. He's not going away. But I almost think we should appreciate this with Alabama football while it's happening because we'll be talking about it when it's done. I think we have to assume it's not going to maintain at this level. And I do think inevitably it will be better for college football. It'll be different at the very least. And usually at some point different is always good, but I actually think it will be better because in the end, my view of this Shahan would be that Alabama football has been too good in terms of what's best for college football. And that the, the Bobby, the Bobby Bowden model, I'm not like disparaging Bobby Bowden at all. 14 top five finishes in 21 years, but only two titles. You're always there. You're interesting. You're a driving force, but you only win 10% of the titles, not 50% of the titles. That is almost perfect. Thank you, Bobby Bowden. Nick Saban, too dominant. You agree? I agree. I agree. So you tell him. So I would like you to go. We'll start doing like stunt things where we're sending you around the country on behalf of the College Football Survivor Show. And then you can write some stories for CBS Sports also. But we're going to send you to a Nick Saban news conference in August to ask, would you wear a Kangol hat? And do you agree that your dominance has been bad for college football? And we'll just see what happens. That'll be the show. We'll we'll see what happens. No big deal. It's like we didn't know that a 70-year-old man could pick up a 28-year-old man. How old are you? Yeah, 28, 28. A 28-year-old man and literally throw him out of a building. But we found that out after Shahan asked those questions at Alabama. (laughs) That's this podcast for the College Football Survivor Show. Joe Goodman, we couldn't have done it without him. You can find him on Twitter. You can read him at al.com. Just a really interesting view of Alabama football and of SEC football. Uh, We're going to keep digging in on this Saban thing a little bit. The effect, we're not going to do Alabama podcasts every week. But Nick Saban touches every corner of college football. So we're going to try to think about what that means for now, what it means for the future when he's gone. More podcasts ahead on that. More Mount Rushmore's coming. We did a uh, Mount Rushmore that I really liked for the Tuesday show on the best linebackers in college football. That's out this week. That's a bonus episode for Apple Podcast subscribers. And then, of course, spring football. We're going to try to do some wraparounds, some quick hits, Once some of these spring games get done, there are a couple this weekend coming. Um, Who's this weekend? Clemson's this weekend. Texas A&M is this weekend. Michigan already had theirs. BYU's done with spring practice. But then the 16th, April 16th, that's a lot of them. And then April 23rd, another decent chunk of them. So we're going to check in with some writers around the country and get a handle on who looked really good, who looked really interesting this spring. But for now, make sure you're reading Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. Subscribe to the College Football Survivor Show. If you found us now, subscribe. The Tuesday pods are for Apple Podcast subscribers. These other pods are for everybody. We appreciate you guys for listening. Thanks again to Joe Goodman for Shahan. I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.